This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Absolutely. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys with undying faith and love for Eric Carlson, which remains true, even though it's not the usual two guys here today. Elon Yesman Dabrowski is off tonight, so I, Brian Com, will be your host, but I'm thrilled to have Prospects Maven, co-host of Fantasy Hockey Life podcast, and the hockey writer's writer, Victor Nuno, to join us to talk about all the players eligible for a Calderific season in 2021. Yes, we are looking at the next crop of Calder candidates, and I couldn't be more excited to get into it with someone who really knows his stuff as well as Victor does. Victor, welcome back to Keeping Carlson. Thanks, Brian. I'm so excited to be here. Looking forward to doing this with you. All right. So am I. Before we get started, of course, we have a couple things to mention. First, presented by our friends over at DauberHockey.com. So make sure to check them out, especially because it's fantasy guide season. Believe it or not, it doesn't feel like the, 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 the season is anywhere close to starting. It doesn't feel that way, but it's coming. And one reason I can tell you it's coming is because the cupful is coming up. But before I mention any more about that, I just want to remind you that Dauber's draft guide is outstanding. He updates it regularly and uh, you can go and get it now and then update it every time he updates it over at DauberHockey.com. So thanks to our friends over there for presenting this podcast. And as I mentioned, yes, the cupful draft date is coming up already. Holy freaking cow. We just decided that drafts are going to begin on Saturday, December 19th at noon Eastern time. And remember, these are slow drafts. So it's not going to be like a live draft situation where you have to be there. These are drafts where we're going to have eight-hour pick timers. And uh, it's not even going to pause overnight. And this is a great way to make sure everyone's available to attend their draft and also uh, help accommodate people across the world who are in the cupful in so many different time zones. Uh, So I can't wait for our first official year of the slow draft to get started for the cupful. If you're interested and you haven't gotten in yet, I can tell you, inside info, there are four spots remaining as of the time of this recording. Actually, Okay, let me correct that. There are infinite spots remaining, but there are four guaranteed spots remaining that we can just 
pop into an existing division. After that, we're going to start a new division with everybody else who filters in after, and you'll end up in a live draft. So if you want a slow draft, be one of the next four people to register. And the way you do that is by heading over to patreon.com slash keepingcarlson or keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Um, can't wait to get the cook up full rolling. It's already rolling. We're going to send invites to divisions to everybody who's registered. By the way, over 250 participants. Again, we're going to have 20 divisions across six tiers. Like this is going to be crazy. So we're sending out invites on Monday. We're also going to be making, or we've already made, uh, chats on our Discord server for each division where uh, everyone will be able to chat with one another during the draft and during the season and talk trade or talk uh, less nicer things. Of course, it's always friendly uh, in the Keeping Carlson community, but chirping is welcome in the Cacupful. So there's that. Also, if you are participating in the Cacupful draft or any draft in the near future, along with Dauber's Guide, you can also check out our patron projection project results over at keepingcarlson.com slash PPP. We have crowdsourced from our brilliant uh, crew of patrons their estimates and projections for how Many, many, many players will do. Uh, it's an amazing project. And if you believe in the wisdom of the crowd, uh, you can go head over and see those results over at keepingcarlson.com slash PPP. That's for you, listener, everybody. You don't need to be a patron. Just go check it out and enjoy the fruits of our patrons who contributed to the project. Thanks very much to them. And also one very last announcement before we get rolling. We are doing uh, this really fun thing that's a collaboration with a bunch of other fantasy hockey people, um, mostly being run by our friends over at Fantasy Hockey Trades, which uh, the Twitter account for is at uh, Fantasy Hockey with no vowels. So you get all the vowels from that and then the word trades. Uh, and our friends over at Five Hole Fantasy Hockey, which is FHF Hockey on Twitter. Uh, we're doing this thing. I haven't even said what it is. It's um, a charity league that we're participating in. It's an invitational. It's a Hockey Fights Cancer theme. So it's to raise money for cancer research. Uh, Elon and I are one of many fantasy hockey, quote unquote, well, I'm not going to call us celebrities, but there are celebrities involved in this. You could end up in a league with Scott Cullen. You could end up in a league with the Fantasy Hockey Podcast guys at the Five Hole Fantasy Podcast guys. Like people in the fantasy hockey community are in this league and you can join uh, with a donation to Hockey Fights Cancer. Uh, if you want more info, I'm going to leave a link in the show notes on the details on how you can play against Elon and I in a fantasy league without having to join the Kickupful and rising all the way to the top tiers. So uh, this is your chance to take a shot of us if you want to. And of course, it's for a great cause. But okay. Whew. Victor, you're still there, right? I'm still here. Okay. Uh, that's great, listener. Thank you for, uh, I hope you're still there and that all of that was super informative for you. But I know what's about to come is going to be incredibly, incredibly informative for you. Like I said, Victor knows his stuff about prospects. And I couldn't be more excited, Victor, to have you on to talk about who should we be keeping our eyes on to, 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 to be able to say, I watched the 2021 Calder Trophy winner. I watched every game. If you want to invest your watching time this season into who's going to lift that hardware, uh, you have come to the right podcast episode. So, Victor, the plan for the show is we're going to go by um, the Vegas odds on who is currently favored to win the Calder Trophy one at a time. Uh, there's 16 guys with odds. And then you have a list of guys who are not on that 
who actually aren't ranked by Vegas, but you're like, ah, oh, they have an outside chance. So we're going to talk about them. And then you also have a list of players who have an outside, outside chance. So we're going deep here, everybody. This is not just going to be uh, 90 minutes on Chesterkin, Lafreniere, and Byfield. We're going real, real deep on this episode, and you won't be sorry that you listened, which is a crazy thing to say. We should just get to it. But first off, uh, Victor, the Calder Trophy, for anyone who doesn't know, do you want to give a quick little introduction to what exactly the Calder Trophy is? Yeah, sure. So the Calder Trophy is for the Outstanding Rookie of the Year. And there's some interesting things that have that have gone on with it. And, and obviously, you can look up past winners, some some notable names, Ovechkin, Malkin, Kane, um, you know, further back, there's guys like Chris Drury, Scott Gomez, Nabokov won it back in the day. But there's some important qualifications that you have to have. In fact, there's a there's there's a maximum number of games that you can have played in a previous season in order to be eligible. So these are obviously guys that are that have never played in the NHL, but you can also have played a certain number of games and still be eligible. So Brian, do you know what that is? Uh, yes. I think it's if you play, it's if you play fewer than 25 games in a se- in the season before you're still good. Right. 25 games. Exactly. So that's, that's important. There's a couple of interesting names that I'll, well, one that I'll mention that is not eligible. That's kind of interesting. We'll get to him later. And then, and then a whole lot, of previous uh, of, of winners or, or of guys that are eligible that are uh, in that in that threshold of zero to twenty five games, and I'm also curious. Uh, I looked this up because I, I certainly didn't know, but I had a feeling. Do you know the average age of the past ten Calder Trophy fifteen Trophy winners? Oh, you know, I was looking up rookie stats by age earlier today to get ready for the show, so I am going to guess about twenty years old is the average Calder Trophy winning age. Yeah, just for the past 15, it's 19.96. Oh, I nailed it. Basically, yep, that's right. So I think that's important to keep in mind when we talk about these guys. Most likely, it's going to be a guy who's 19 or 20 or or older is probably helpful, right? And and there's only been one 18-year-old who won it in the past 15 years. And do you know who that was? Oh, man. You know, the answer to every one of these questions is always Tyler Myers, but I know it's not. And I actually, I, I'm, I'm sorry, when I was doing this research, the name jumped out at me. I, I think I'm remembering this right. Was it Jeff Skinner? It was not Jeff Skinner. He was oh, okay. 19, but he was, he played for the Avalanche. Now, do you know? Uh, it wasn't McCarr. Oh, well, now I'm about to, be, was it McKinnon? Yeah, it was Nathan oh, okay. McKinnon. And 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 only a few eighteen-year-olds have ever won it. The last before that is is Tom Barrasso and Dale Howarchuk. So I'm mentioning this to say, eighteen-year-olds rarely win the Calder. So when we talk about this, I think it's important to keep in mind it's pretty unlikely that an eighteen-year-old is going to win it this year, right? So right. So uh, like then, even if they're going to be eventually the better NHL player, they might not be better than a twenty-year-old who's had more time to develop and like acclimatize to the NHL game. Uh, in their very first season. Of course, look at Kel McCarr last year. He was fantastic, but he was also 21. So right. he had a few years on all those other guys. Um, do you know who, who the oldest to win the Calder was? Oh, uh, Panarin did not win, right? No, he did uh, Wait, he did. Am he I right? Was it him? No, no. Oh, <laughs> okay. Then I do not know. <laughs> Panarin was my best guess. It was way back in 89-90, Sergei Makarov, who was 31, and he's oh. the reason they changed the rule. <laughs> because uh, that was silly. Wow, that is wild. I'm just like quickly looking up uh, exactly what his, like, 
that is like Radulov coming over. Yeah, he was crushing it um, for in the K- what's now the KHL. Uh, 54 points in 44 games and 68 points in 50. He was just, he was way over a point per game in what is now the KHL uh, for years before coming over to play in Calgary. So they changed the rule. That's a, wow. He and Sean Avery in the record books together (laughs) being the reasons that NHL adjusted the rule book. Yeah. They changed the rule for him. And I remember Makarov had had a couple of really good seasons for the Sharks. That was fun. Um, And then, and then, so they changed the rule. Now, what is the age limit? Oh, uh, 20, I think it's like 26. Mm-hmm. By November 15th, or sorry, September 15th. So Okay. So there's one guy that we're going to talk about who's not eligible. Uh, we'll okay. Briefly. That's, so, that's sad for that guy. Yeah. And especially <laughs> with more more Europeans coming over a little later. So, uh, you know, they, they could still have an impact, but they won't qualify for the Calder. Okay, so uh, you've got to have not played a lot in the league. You've got to be under a certain age. I, like, I remember the number just because of Panarin, and there was a lot of conversation. Like, should he really be? He's not a rookie. Why should he be counted as a rookie? I'm, I'm half surprised it didn't change it again uh, after he won it. Looks like at age 24. Okay, um, so we know all there is to know about the Calder, except I just also found this little piece of trivia while I was looking up uh, the Mac- M- Makarov thing. Um, there were four years where the uh, the Calder winner alternated from being between two teams. This was between 2011-12 and 2014-15. Can you name those two teams, Victor? Well, the Avalanche is one. And... Yeah. Landeskog, blank, McKinnon, blank. Uh, Panthers. Yeah. Huberdeau and Ekblad. Uh, which is, uh, it's interesting to see that both those teams had two Calder winners within three years and they find themselves in, in very different places. Of course, it helps that Colorado also had the most recent Calder winner, which gives them three Calder winners in the last decade, all drafted by them, which means they either have excellent scouting or um, just a really terrible regular season record for long enough or a combination of both. Yeah, probably a little about. They also got a little lucky with uh, a couple of the lotteries. I think like the Macar lottery was uh they were they were they shouldn't have been that high. Well, lucky them. They are mile high. Get it? With Kyle Macar and their lineup and uh <laughs> I know that everybody, including Vegas, is super high on the most highly favored player to win the Calder Trophy in 2021 and that player is Igor Shostyorkin, who in a lot of players, in a lot of people's minds, uh, he's already won the Calder. Like, he has a lot of laurels to rest on with his performance last season coming into the NHL uh, pretty much out of nowhere, made quick work of the AHL, 934 save percentage in 25 games with Hartford of the AHL, then came into the big leagues with, with it only got 12 games in, but put up a 932 save percentage, winning 10 of his 12 decisions to begin his career, which is just insane, especially considering the workload that he had in a lot of those games. A lot of highlight reel saves, a lot of a lot of rubber against. So uh, he had a fantastic start. The question is, Victor, is there any reason to think he's not going to keep this up? Well, if there are any, I haven't found them. I, I've been digging on this guy for a while, and, and he definitely seemed like he was all that when he was in the KHL. And he certainly showed, of course, limited sample size in the NHL. But, 
you know, looking at his his expected goals numbers, it's it's really high. He's tenth in the in the league. He was tenth in the league this season, which is pretty great. Six goals above expected. And his Delta Fenwick, which as you know, Brian, is a good way to look at whether they can outperform the protection offered them by their team. And uh, he was actually second. Chris Drieger managed a 1.66, which is just ridiculous um, for that Florida team. But uh, Shostyurkin was 1.09 ahead of Jake Allen and Connor, Hen- Connor Hellebuck. So he was he was excellent. And that's why a lot of people think, regardless of how still not good the Rangers are, which I, I don't think they're going to be amazingly better this season, they'll still be competitive um, and they certainly have some good forwards their defenses some of them are good but uh, you know he's he's uh, he's there and I think that he absolutely can have if he has the performance that he had in those 12 games last season for a longer stretch there's a really good chance that he could win the Calder I think that that's a pretty reasonable expectation for him I guess the only consideration is you know there's going to be limited starts probably if we have this compressed schedule and and Georgiev is is no slouch either so um can a goalie win the Calder playing you know half the games or maybe even slightly less than half I don't know um that that's a good question I still think probably yes because he could just be so good in the starts that he has um so yeah I, I like that pick and I I haven't I haven't found anything to, to um, you know dissuade me from thinking he's going to have an NHL a great NHL career. Um, I, I one one thing that I like to look at is the hockey prospecting model, which just added goalies, and his his uh, equivalency is just crazy high, and it, and it capped out at his draft plus five season, which he was still in the KHL, and even at that point he had a ninety six percent NHL you know likelihood. So he's uh, he's really good. That's a really fun number that you just mentioned. Where can people find it? The hockey prospecting model? Yeah. It's uh, hockeyprospecting.com. And uh, we actually just did an interview, if I can mention this. We did an interview with Byron Bader, who runs that site uh, for our other podcast, Fantasy Hockey Life, that came out uh, the, today, the day we're recording. So check that out. He talks all about it. And uh, yeah, he's, if you, if you just bring up like Shesterkin, he doesn't have comparables for goalies yet, but if you just look at him compared to like Vasilevsky, right. Who's obviously amazing. He, uh, he looks not too dissimilar from Vasilevsky and, and in some metrics in quite a few, actually he looks better. So. so. Yeah. I'm hoping for better. I actually like Vasilevsky's good and all, uh, but I feel like Shesterkin is going to be a goalie at a level of dominance, the capable of dominance that we just don't often see anymore. Uh, like he could easily by the end of this year, slide into my top five goalies. If he can keep doing what he was doing last year. Uh, I'm also uh, the, the point you brought up. We talked about it on our discord channel about whether a goalie splitting starts in a shortened season, can they play 28 or 30 games and still win the Calder? And yeah, I, I also agree with you that I, I think they could. I think you take that into account and you compare them to the impact that whatever other rookies out there had on their teams. If they were gangbusters for 28 to even like, you know, 30 games, like having that few number of games, I think they'd be just fine. So Igor Shosturkin, uh, I agree. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a Vegas better. I'm not a, like a, a huge prospects knower, but it seems like he is easy to name the odds on front runner. The next guy 
uh, is going to be in the running to be uh, a 19-year-old Calder winner. So he's not 18, so that's a start. He's close to that 19.9 average age for the last 10 years and is also on the Rangers. We're talking Alexi Lafreniere, who's at plus 375 to win the Calder this year. Uh, we're using a sports betting dime and Bovada for our odds, by the way, if anyone wants to know. Shostorkin was a plus 175. And here you have Lafreniere looking to be the next uh, Calder winner from the QMJHL following in the footsteps of most recently Jonathan Huberdeau and Nathan McKinnon. And of course, everything is kind of lined up for Lafreniere to be successful. He's had those big goal moments with Team Canada, the World Juniors too. So it looks like he is one of the, the draft picks most poised to come in and make an instant impact in the NHL. Uh, the only thing is that he's on the left wing and the Rangers are kind of, I wouldn't say set at left wing, but I mean, you've got Kreider and Panarin on the depth chart at left wing ahead of you. So does Lafreniere really have enough room to work with to make a solid Calder case? Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't be my top pick. It's not my top pick, um, but I do think there's a pretty good chance that he's, I mean, he's going to be good. I don't think there's any any question about that. Is it going to be that good this quick this year? You know, I don't know. I, I still think that I, he can get, he can pretty easily get um, 65 points. I would say 60, he could be in that 60 to 70 range. It certainly depends on his deployment. As you said, they have, they have Panarin, obviously who's a left wing and they have, you know, Kreider, they have Kraftstoff who, who may make it. And, you know, they do, they flip one of their other wings around and, and make them right. You know, daily Faceoff has Kreider on the right with Lafreniere and Zibanejad. You know, who knows? I know that that Panarin, Strom, Buchnevich line was pretty good. And so they might keep that intact. And so that, it kind of makes sense that they would, you know, I mean, it makes sense that they would give him good deployment and he certainly um, did well enough in the, in the, you know, in the queue to, to show that he, he can, you know, put up a lot of points. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I, is that good enough to win the caller though? That's the question is like 60, 65 points from a forward, you know, going to be enough. Um, I don't know. I, I think that the Rangers are going to be, that offense is going to be potent. And so I like him. And I think that he has a decent chance um, and we're certainly not giving betting advice, but he, he's not, he's not, he's not this high on my list. Uh, some of the interesting comparables for him, just to note through his NHL equivalency, the, the best comparable with the highest points in his rookie year was Pat Floon at 61. And some of the other guys to Matt Kachuk, Taylor Hall, all had good rookie seasons, but they were in the 52 to 53 point range. I don't know that that wins the Calder this year. So I think he's going to be good. I think it's fine. Um, I've heard people say if you wanted to give somebody both Rangers versus the field, I would take the field, and I would agree with that. I don't. I think. I think I like Shostakin certainly a lot better, um, but uh, even combining them two or someone else, I would probably take that that someone else bait. So uh, you are not as high. He's not, and we're going to get like you are going to summarize your rankings top to bottom after we go through all the ones ranked by Vegas, but you're saying, yeah, this is not where you're landing with Lafreniere being the second most likely Calder winner this season. Uh, I agree with you that there's just a lot of other talent there. I feel like a Calder winner. I mean, 
maybe I shouldn't say this because Kel McCarr just won it, except he was on the blue line and stood out from his fellow defensemen, uh, even though there's so much talent up front in Colorado. But if you are one of many doing something on a team, it is hard to stand out. And if Lafreniere has a good but not great season, there's going to be at least a couple of players having a great season ahead of him and doing a lot of the heavy lifting. So we'll see if he gets an opportunity to shine uh, and can take that opportunity to really stand on the same platform as the Panarins and the Zibanejads that he's going to be playing with. Uh, Third highest odds from Vegas coming in just behind Lafreniere plus 400 is one of the older candidates for the Calder this season and coincidentally also coming from the same uh, KHL club or club in Russia that Sergei Makarov played for Siska Moscow uh, it's Kirill Kaprizov of the Minnesota Wild and I mean we go from talking about a Rangers situation where it's like yeah there's a lot of talent up front to a Minnesota Wild situation where it's like oh is there anyone up front for Kaprizov to work with? I don't think if he's ready to stand out, he's going to have a whole lot of trouble doing it. The question is, is that roster uh, deep enough to support uh, a rookie coming in and making an impact? And I think here's where it really comes in handy for Kaprizov to be uh, already uh, having several years of pro experience under his belt. He's played a few world junior tournaments, of course, but most recently in the KHL, 62 points in 57 games, 51 points in 57, 40 points in 46 games. Essentially, since this guy turned pro and started playing with men, uh, he has been just fine and left no doubt as to whether he can hold his own as an 18 and 19 and 20 and whatever year old. So now he's coming in as a 23-year-old into the NHL And uh, I don't know. I know he's the one that Elon is most excited about. And when I look at him and his history and his age and the opportunity for him to shine on that Minnesota Wild team, I'm pretty into Kaprizov as a pretty decent Calder candidate. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head there. There's so many factors working for him. He's older. He's proven it at many different levels, including playing against men, which is certainly not something that Lafreniere has done yet. And his his uh, his opportunity is great. You know, daily daily faceoff has him being the top line left winger, which I don't think there's any reason for him not to be. Who's going to take his spot? Who's better than him? Even right now, yeah, he's a he's a rookie in the NHL, but he's certainly no rookie. He's you know he's 23 years old. He's been around. He's certainly he's coming in as their best player, which you know doesn't doesn't happen very often. Well, well, all with all due respect to Kevin Fiala, that's <laughs> with all due like, respect to Kevin Fiala, I still think Kaprizov is better. Wow. Okay, that's so that's all, I personally I think that's a pretty hot take, Victor, to say that Kaprizov is better than Kevin Fiala. Would you say that that's going to translate? Like if you're in a fantasy pool or a dynasty league, are you taking for one year and beyond? So those are two questions there. You're taking Kaprizov over Fiala this year? Well, now you're going to pin me down. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, I was, I think so. Yeah. Well, the thing is like Fiala was great, right? And he, he certainly just came on relatively recently, right? I mean, it's not like he was great forever last season. He really turned it on at the end. And I I think, and I know you've talked about this on the show and I've I've dug into it and thought about it and 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 as well. And I, I do think that what I what we saw from him is sustainable. And I do think that Fiala is going to be mm-hmm. as good as he has shown, but he also hasn't shown it for that long. So in terms of like track record, I know it's not in the in the NHL, but I think that Kaprizov has shown it for longer. And I think that he is 
He's really good. He's really, really good. And I think that probably now I'm, I'm just going to say it. Yeah. I would take Kaprizov first over Fiala, but I think it's not like so far off. I think it's actually pretty close. And certainly that left wing eligibility is huge. Most platforms have Fiala that I've seen at both left wing and right wing. So that's Mm -hmm. helpful. So I don't think there's a huge difference there, but I think that Kaprizov has a, has a little bit of a higher upside. The big question for both these guys is who's going to be their center, right? Marcus Johansson, obviously, <laughs> which is yeah. a very tongue-in-cheek way to answer that, yes, uh, Marcus Johansson is going to be their center, and that's not ideal. Uh, that's really interesting what you said. To I mean, I think it's a huge compliment to Kaprizov to say that he is going to approach or eclipse Fiala's production this year. As we've said, like we are big believers in Fiala, so if Kaprizov can come in and be similar, that is... To me, that's there's your Calder, at least leader amongst forwards. I still don't know how to compare him to Shostyorkin, but that seems uh, like a pretty easy pick if someone can come in and be Kevin Fiala in their first year in the league. Yeah, you know, it just kind of breaking that down a little further too. Kaprizov's hockey prospecting comp, best comp is Brad Richards, who had a 62-point rookie season. But again, that was a rookie season when he was 18 or 19, right? We're talking about Kaprizov having extremely high equivalency and the numbers you quoted for the KHL are beyond the what the model looks at so that was what he did after it sort of tracks your progress and your trajectory so he was like really high even before that and so a lot of people say he's maybe more like Kucherov or Panarin as we mentioned and I think that the Panarin comparable is pretty apt because they're a very similar age when they're coming over similar production in the KHL and Panarin had a 79 point rookie season of course he had some great pieces to work with in Chicago. So the situation is not the same, but I, I do think that one of the guys that we'll talk about later might end up being his uh, might end up being a reason why Kaprizov could be better than um, just playing with Marcus Johansson. So maybe we'll just tease that a little bit, but I, I agree with Elon. I think that Kaprizov probably is my favorite as well. Okay. And at plus 400, uh, I guess there's actually a huge gap between Shostyorkin, Lafreniere, and Kaprizov going down to the next highest guy, who, Victor, you're going to have to explain this to me. So we've got Grigory Denisenko at plus 1,000, being the fourth-ranked Calder favorite amongst betters. And I am just like, I need more of an introduction to this guy. Uh, Denisenko, of course, is on the Panthers, and he plays on the wing. And uh, I guess... Like, that's all I really can say about him. He's small, uh, but I'm looking at what he's accomplished so far in his pro career. Not a lot. So you're going to have to explain to me what the hype is. Uh, Because a 20-year-old coming into the NHL, having just registered 12 points in 38 games with Locomotive of the KHL, and then not putting up much of a showing in the playoffs. His World Junior tournaments were great. And I remember watching him in the last one being like, oh yeah, this, this guy looks like a player. But for someone who hasn't really registered as a scorer of any kind on the pro level, um, before coming over to the NHL, I'm a little perplexed as to why Grigory Denisenko of the Florida Panthers is ranked as the fourth highest Calder favorite. 
Well, I'm with you there. I certainly would not and did not put him there. Um, I think it's a, a bit generous. One of the things that is interesting about him is that he is probably going to be in the lineup this year. So, okay, there's that. There's other guys on this list who I, I don't think qualify for that True. statement. So at least there's that. And certainly, as you mentioned, one of the things we've we've been talking about with Denisenko, who certainly has a ton of skills. He's got great hands and vision. He's a great playmaker. Not the biggest guy, but but he certainly plays uh, big in the moment is he's been great internationally, as you mentioned, but he hasn't really had the best opportunity because he's been shuffled up and down from the MHL to the VHL, which is kind of like the AHL and then the KHL in the past few seasons, that's what's been happening. And so we've been saying, Oh, he's good against his peers, but he hasn't really had the right opportunity. But this season, this past season, he was in the KHL the whole time and he had 12 points in 38 games, which was really not great. And so I definitely lost a a little bit of faith in him this past season. I still think he's going to be a good player. I don't know that he's a first liner. I think that he probably will be pretty good, but I, I certainly, he's definitely not on my list. And I, and I, and I question this too, because he's going to be in that probably middle six for Florida. And, you know, with them signing Wenberg and certainly I don't think he's going to displace anyone that top line, like he might be a decent third liner in his rookie season, which I think would be a win. And, you know, if he gets 30, 35 points, I think that'd be a win for him. And I, I, that's certainly not going to win the Calder. So, you know, I think that long-term I I, could, you know, we'll have to see, I'm still have some faith that he could be pretty good in the NHL, but certainly not in this Calder conversation for me. Yeah, and for anyone who's wondering like where he came from, 15th round pick uh, back in 2018, and I agree with you, Victor, a third liner would be uh, enough of a win, honestly, for Florida, at least at this stage, uh, looking around who went there. Um, not a whole lot of people have seen any NHL time yet, so clearly he seems to be one of the readiest, but you look above him, you see Joel Farabee, Ty Delandrea, Noah Dobson, guys who are also uh, Oliver Wallstrom, Evan Bouchard, guys who are just about to get their first shots, and just below him uh, is actually a really interesting name, Ty Smith, who we'll get to later, but there's not, uh, I don't know, I'm just looking at the context of where he was drafted, and it still could be worthwhile. We're not saying that this guy's a waste of your time, but it is... Uh, curious to see him this high on the list. Okay, moving on to somebody who was drafted in this most recent NHL draft, second overall by the LA Kings. Here will be an 18-year-old vying to be one of those rare 18-year-old Calder Trophy winners. His name is Quinton Byfield, and holy cow, does he seem like a gangbusters prospect? Uh, gangbusters is not a word you can use too many times in one show. So I promise that's the last time I use it. Um, Enough about my word choice. Back to Byfield, who just seems to have a huge opportunity in LA to come in and do what he needs to do. He was on some lists, including uh, our very close friend, Cam Robinson's uh, ranked ahead of Lafreniere uh, on this year's draft rankings. So capable of being uh, considered a first overall pick, also seems capable of being considered NHL ready to step in and make an impact right away. Victor, how sold are you on Byfield being able to come in on a pretty weak Kings team and doing something that garners the attention of Calder voters? Well, when I was on the show last time, I raved about Quinn Byfield and and mentioned how I would take him at the top of this 2020 draft for, for fantasy and dynasty formats, which I have done. 
And I think he's going to be amazing, as you mentioned. Like his 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 upside looks like Joe Thornton esque. I mean, he's just he's that good. Uh, he was really young for his crop, and so that also hurts him here. He's still really young, and I just as much as I love him, I don't think there's any way he wins the Calder. Quite honestly, I think that he is. Why would the Kings rush him either? Like they're not going to be good this year. They they still have some maturing for some of their really young great prospects and you know, maybe he gets some playing time, but I I think that the best thing for him is probably to to play in the OHL again and you know, he was good but he wasn't amazing and that's partly because he's about a year younger than Lafreniere and so, you know, let let him refine there or maybe give him some AHL time. So I, I, I also don't necessarily think he's going to be in the league. I don't think it's a no-brainer that he plays for the Kings. I think it's it's possible and that, that could help him, but it's also not uh, not necessarily the best thing for him. He still needs to get a little bigger and stronger and mature a little bit. So let him do that in the OHL. And, you know, whenever he does step into the league, if that's next season, 2021-22, then I think he has a good chance of winning the Calder. But I don't think it happens this year. I certainly wouldn't bet on Quentin Byfield this year. I think long term, yeah, I love him. I think he's great, but not this season. I like what you said. Like I almost want him to not make the league this year because I think he is also a much better Calder candidate in the future when he's not 18 years old and when maybe uh, he has some wingers to play with. It is just ugly in LA. They have their centermen. They have Kopitar. Uh, they have now Byfield, and they also have Turcotte, who we'll get to in just a second. But you look at the wings, and it is there's nothing there. You've got Iofalo and uh, Dustin Brown on the first line, who debatably uh, like can barely be considered top line wingers. And then you're already down to Adrian Kempe and Martin Furk on the second line on the Kings depth chart right now. Of course, Jeff Carter is somewhere in this picture, but. After the last couple seasons, of course, our faith is kind of shaken in them. So I'm not exactly sure if Quinton Byfield does get time with the big club and is playing down the middle, uh, is actually going to be able to do much of anything. And I wonder if this next Calder candidate would be able to do any more than him. And of course, we're talking about Alex Turcotte, also on LA, also in their system. Uh, he was drafted in 2019, fifth overall by the Kings, and he'll be 19, he'll turn 20 at the end of February, but he'll be 19 in terms of Calder voting uh, and is someone who has the ability to come in and make an impact. His last year of college hockey, he had 26 points in 29 games with the University of Wisconsin. And of course, had some really great results coming out of the U.S. National Team Development Program, too. So Alex Turcotte, uh, Victor, you're saying Quinton Byfield probably would be or could be better served, even if he can have some if, if he can hang in the NHL, he could be better served by some more development this year. What do you think about Alex Turcotte? Same story or is he ready? Well, I think it's a similar story. He he was one and done at the University of Wisconsin and you know he he looks like he's ready to turn pro but I don't know that he's ready to be in the NHL. What's really interesting about this time we live in right now is that with the NHL starting late, you know, in January, hopefully starting in January 13th and then the AHL looks like it's going to start in February. So with the AHL starting after the NHL, I think some of these guys like Turcotte and some of the other ones we'll mention, they're probably going to get their nine game trial. And then, you know, we'll see how it goes. If it's going well, then, you know, they might just uh, burn that year of eligibility. I think for L.A., it doesn't make any sense for them to do that. They're not going to win this year. I don't think anyone 
would argue with that. So why put Turcotte, why put Byfield, why put any of these guys really in the NHL when they could play their nine games, go off to the AHL, further develop, and then 2021, you can you know have more of these guys in the NHL. And I think that that's going to be really good for them. The other thing I would mention about these these Kings players who I think are just going to be, you know, they're going to have an embarrassment of riches here in a few years, but they have, most of them are centers, but they're not all going to play center. So a few of these are going to move over to the wing, you know, probably a guy like Tyler Madden's going to move over to the wing, Akil Thomas, maybe even, even Kupari we'll see. So we'll, we'll have some of their, their strength on the middle will be shifted to the wing because that's a good point you made. Who are these guys going to play with? Well, they're going to have some of these centers move over the wing probably. And they've, they've of course got guys like Fajimo and, and Kaliev. So eventually, but yeah, I also, I agree. Turcotte's kind of the same thing to me. Why would they, why would they put him in the NHL? So he, I think that would be kind of a wasted, uh, you know, pick or money to bet on Turcotte or Byfield this year. I just don't think it's that high. And also, you know, for Turcotte's sake, I think he's more of like a Jonathan Taves light type of player. I think he's more of a two-way, you know, kind of most situations type of player, not a huge – I don't think he's going to be a huge, huge scorer. Like he might have some seasons where he pops up pretty high, but in general he'll be more of a serviceable two-way guy. So that also kind of hurts him in the sense of, you know, I don't even necessarily think he'll be a good color candidate when he is full-time. Oh, interesting. But Vegas loves him this year. You clearly don't. So uh, I, I really like your advice, though, especially in terms of waiting for the other wingers in L.A. to mature so they can all come up together. We were actually talking before the show about whether uh, it's worthwhile to play your prospects and in, in a situation where they're just going to get destroyed night in, night out, right? The Kings uh, are not looking good uh, overall. They don't have a very competitive team. When they play a good team in the NHL, they're just going to be filled in more often than not. So is it a good idea to have your prospects out there in that? Or is it better to keep them developing in a safer context in the AHL where the competition is more their speed and, uh, you know, they're less, they're on a stronger, they'll be on a stronger team, at least relative to their competition. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, it depends on what you're going for. I've also heard that like the AHL isn't necessarily a great development league either because they're trying to win. They're trying to drive gate revenue. Of course, that's probably not going to happen this year. But, you know, you really need those young players to be coached to improve and not necessarily coached to win right now because you might win a few games here and there more than you could have. But the reality is that these players need to improve, learn from their mistakes, and they get they need to get thrown back out there when they make a mistake. And and try again, not to sit on the bench because they missed an assignment because that's going to happen. So they, if, if the situation is right and the coaching is, is the coaching staff is patient with them, the management's patient with them. I think it could be really good. It could also be really, really um, bad if they're, if they're coming down on them. So, you know, it really depends on the situation. I don't think LA should be in that situation where they're trying to like, you know, win right now. And so I think it should be pretty good for them to play, but I also think it just makes more sense for them to, see what they have this year with some of the guys that are ready. And then next year they can improve on that. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what the Kings do and how they manage these assets that really are their future. They're going to want to be careful. Interesting point about what you said about the age not being a great development league and without gate revenue. I wonder if teams are okay with losing a little more and spending more time and effort developing rather than trying to win games. That could be an interesting subplot. Also, 
I wonder how many teams are going to decide that a 56 game season is not the time to burn an entry level contract year on a player that, you know, like it's, it's a shorter season. It's a weird season. There's uh, less pain. Uh, (laughs) You know, if, if you should have brought up that player and didn't, it's like, okay, well, this was a bizarre year anyway. Um, So it'll make sense to just bring them back up when hopefully everything is regular for the 21-22 season. So I wonder if that is also going to factor into LA's decisions about how to handle their prospects and other teams too. We're finally going to move out of LA, but first uh, we're just going to pause for a brief moment. We have this new feature turned on on our podcast feed from our uh, provider that will... uh, sometimes insert a dynamic ad into our show. So I'd like to just take a pause to say, uh, make room for a sponsor's message and you may or may not hear one actually happen. This is the beauty of modern technology. So we're going to pause for a sponsor's message or not. And welcome back to the show. Uh, glad you're still with us. We are running down the top Calder candidate candidates, according to Vegas odds uh, using sports betting dime and Bovada. I'm joined, of course, by Victor Nuno, who is a fantastic, fantastic wealth of knowledge so far. And we've already gone through the list, which started with Shostyorkin, then to Lafreniere, Kaprizov, Denisenko, Byfield, Turcotte. And now we land in Colorado with Bowen Byram at plus 1,500. Bowen Byram, of course, acquired by the Avalanche, or the pick that drafted him was acquired by the Avalanche in the Matt Duchesne trade with Ottawa. As a 19-year-old, he comes in with a a decent amount of cachet. Uh, Of course, he's a defenseman, and Colorado already has at least two really high-quality defensemen on their roster, one who just won the Calder and Makar. And of course, everyone who listens to the show regularly knows I'm a huge Sam Girard fan. So, Victor, I ask you, as good as Byram is, first, let's do the most obvious thing and just compare him relative to Makar, like is he Makar? Is he above Makar? Is he below Makar? And then the follow-up question is, can he do enough with Makar just there? Like, is it, this almost reminds me of a Brandstrom Shabbat situation. Of course, I make a lot of Senators analogies, but you've got Shabbat, who's like this amazing blue chip defensive prospect and offensive while he's beyond a prospect now. And Brandstrom would be that on any other team, except he's got Shabbat in front of him for as long as they're both in Ottawa, it seems, is Shabbat to Brandstrom the same way that Makar is to Byram? There's so much to unpack there, Brian. That was a that was a great setup. <laughs> I, I want to start with the centers because when I was digging in with them and and doing doing that episode for for Fantasy Hockey Life, I was looking at the comparables between the two, and Brandstrom is very, very good. And I think that, of course, we know that Shabbat is very, very good, and he certainly had some very early success. But I I think that there's a, a non-zero chance that Brandstrom is just as good, if not better. So I think I want to say that because that will help lay the framework for – I think it's sort of similar with, with uh, Bowen Byram and Kale McCarr. It's important to kind of keep in mind, too, that – Kale McCarr was drafted at the AJHL, which is a very low equivalency league. And he went to the NCAA after his draft season. Before he, you go any further, sorry to interrupt you, but you said a low equivalency league. Could you just explain a little more what you mean by that? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Talking about NHL equivalency, which basically looks at the points in junior leagues and compares them to what they would be in the NHL. So like just looking back at Brandstrom, 
He's actually higher than Shabbat in his draft in, in every season. He's higher than Shabbat. So that's an interesting framework. Of course, he was over in Sweden and then in the AHL and Shabbat was in the QMJHL and, and then in the NHL. So, you know, you can't necessarily say he's going to be better, but that's what these equivalencies try to do. They track back through the years, decades, and, and look at what players have done with the similar point total and kind of project where they should be. And so that's the story with Brandstrom and Shabbat. And so I bring that up to, to mention that uh, I think there's a decent chance that Bowen Byram is even better than Kale McCarr because his wow. equivalencies in the draft and draft plus one season, which was in the WHL, which is a very different league than the AJHL. And it's interesting too, because the AJ, he went, McCarr went from the AJHL to the NCAA. And it wasn't until his draft plus two season that he really broke out. And Bowen Byram hasn't had his draft plus two season yet. That would be the season that's upcoming. So of course we don't know if he's going to take a huge step forward like McCarr did. And back to your second question, I don't think that this is the year for Bowen Byram. It doesn't really make sense. When they brought in, when Colorado brought in Devin, Devon Taves, who I think is just an excellent defenseman. Oh, yeah, I can't believe I didn't even name him, along with Gerard <laughs> and McCarr. Colorado, jeez. They're so stacked. They have Graves, who's a great compliment to McCarr. They have Eric Johnson, who's no slouch, Sam Gerard, And they have Ian Cole and Devon Taves on their third pairing, which is just, just silly. I mean, it, it's really right. ridiculous. Right. So the question is not, can Byram get past McCarr? It's, can Byron get past these, like, five other really top-end NHL defensemen? Right. And so... It seems unlikely. Like, I don't know why they would do that um, for him. I mean, he certainly, I think if we're talking about 20, again, if we're talking about 21, 22, I think that that Byram could be a really great pick. And I think that he has has a decent chance. He is 19 and he won't be 20 until June. So he's still really young, Bowen Byram is. And so he's another one of these guys that's WHL or NHL. And so I you know, we just mentioned, unless unless the Avalanche have some unfortunate knock-on-wood injury in camp, I don't see Bowen Byron making it. I think that he's going to go back to the W for a fourth season and just absolutely terrorize the league there. Um, there's, also, there's a decent chance that he makes it, though, and sticks, and maybe they just keep him around because, you know, they uh, if he plays the nine games and gets into a few here and there, it's possible. But, yeah, the opportunity probably isn't going to be huge for him. I, but, again, individually, I think he's very, very good. And I think that he's at least in the in the Makar conversation. I don't know that he comes right in and does what Makar did because certainly Makar was older when he came into the NHL, and that certainly helped him. Um, and, of course, he just won the Calder. But I think the odds of Byram making it back-to-back Colorado Calders is, is a little bit low. So if I'm Cal Makar... I guess I'm trying to really make the most of this season and making sure that I really entrench myself as the go-to offensive defenseman. Victor, just to follow up, should owners of Makar in keeper dynasty leagues be at all worried about Byram taking his job sometime over the next, like a lot sooner than anyone would expect. Cause you see what Makar did similar to Hughes in Vancouver. It's like, okay, we're going to be seeing these guys do the same thing for probably another 10 years at least, is that time going to be cut short by Bowen Byram? Would it be a smart move to sell high on Kale McCarr before that competition really heats up? 
I can't imagine many situations where I'd want to sell Kale McCarr. I mean, he's he's there, he's done it. So even though you can look at these equivalencies and say, yeah, Byron may be better, you you have McCarr doing it already. So I think that, you know, like I said, there's a non-zero chance that Byron is better. There's also a very good chance that, you know, he's, he's you know, going to come in and not not wrestle the job away from McCarr because he's McCarr's already done it. He's showed that he's been good. And realistically, Byron needs you know, in a normal season, he would have one or two years in the AHL development before he comes into the NHL. So I think that that's more likely what happens. And then you're talking about maybe three or four years from now, you're starting to get a little worried as a Macar owner. But I mean, who even knows what's going to happen by then? That's so far in the future. So it's it's not really worth getting too worried about. Um, and Macar is so young and so great already that you would, you would have to get in a just a ridiculous deal. In fact, I have I have someone in one of my leagues who keeps trying to get my car from me, and I'm just like, you have to knock my socks off with like a, an offer that you obviously lose for me to trade my car. <laughs> There's just no good reason to do it. Right. So you'd have to be like, you'd have to take a crazy haul to get rid of my car, and you're not going to take any points off of how you value him as an asset because of Byram coming up. But I guess it's just something to keep in the back of your mind. If you are, uh, if you do roster Makar, that at some point when Byram does mature and does make the jump to the NHL, uh, there could be, there could, like, you, you didn't at all say there's going to be a changing of the guard or that Byram will necessarily eat into what Makar does because Makar's already doing it. But just something to think about. Uh, another guy to think about in a what's kind of a crowded defensive situation, uh, but in a not quite a similar way is over in Edmonton. We're going to talk about Evan Bouchard now, who's picked 10th overall by the Oilers back in 2018. And Edmonton has a, like I said, similarly crowded defensive situation to Colorado, but not with the same type of quality. But there still are lots of names in the picture that Bouchard kind of needs to move past to be able to get his opportunity. Of course, the Oilers just added Tyson Barry to the team and you have to assume uh, he's got a really great shot at being the power play one quarterback, at least for this year. You've also got Oscar Clefbaum, who's injured, but one day won't be. Uh, Darnell Nurse, Ethan Bear, Caleb Jones. You've also got Philip Broberg coming up as a prospect. So Evan Bouchard, even if he is, you know, a really solid defensive prospect, uh, still has his work cut out for him in guys that he needs to pass on the depth chart to be able to make an impact. He's ranked at plus 1,800 in the Vegas odds to win the Calder Trophy this year. Uh, how do you see that panning out for Evan Bouchard? Is this year he makes an impact, or is he going to have to wait a little longer? I'm sure Edmonton fans are so so ready for him to be the guy. And I, I know in a lot of leagues that you, we've been we've been excited for Bouchard for a while, but I, I still don't think this is his year. When they signed Barry... I think that that was a signal that it's going to be probably another year in the AHL for Evan Bouchard, which isn't a bad thing because he comes in as a very offensively minded defenseman who's very good at that, but he needed to work a little bit on his defensive game and he was much better in Bakersfield this past year at that. And so another year doing that isn't, isn't unreasonable. And yeah, they don't have the the names that they do in Colorado, but Edmonton still has six serviceable guys. And so he'd have to pass uh, an NHL very capable defenseman in order to get that opportunity. So, you know, one thing to mention is that uh, Ethan Bear, I don't think has signed yet at the time of this recording. So if for some reason he holds out or doesn't sign, then there may be a spot. And certainly if there's an injury, um, it could be Bouchard's uh, opportunity. So there's that. Um, the other thing is that, um, you know, he is 
he is a right-handed defenseman, so maybe he gets the opportunity with Barry if, if they like that setup on the right side. And also, I've read some that Clefbaum may not even play at all this season. So if that's the case, then then maybe there's some opportunity. But um, overall, I think he's a super high upside guy. I just don't think it's going to be this season. I think it's kind of unlikely. So, But if he does, and if he sticks in camp, and he's he's turning heads, and he's making the team, then, uh, you know, but at that point, it's probably too late to bet on it. I, I just, oh, at this point, though, I wouldn't, uh, I don't think it's terribly likely. Okay, so we're not really counting on Bouchard to step up this year. It looks like next year might be his year. Like you say, Clefbaum, it could miss the whole season, but of course, uh, he'll be healthy the following year. So even when Bar- if Barry is not retained by Edmonton after this season, Clefbaum might still be in the picture as someone who's proven himself to be a legit power play one quarterback. Of course, the hope is that Bouchard's ceiling and upside for that position is much higher. One thought you mentioned that uh, Bouchard plays the opposite wing is Barry. So technically or the opposite side. So technically they could coexist. I wonder if Bouchard sees time, if he does have a crack at the top power play unit, uh, just by virtue of there not being so many forwards in contention. Like, of course, you've got McDavid, you've got Drysaddle, you've got Nugent Hopkins. And then I guess for that, and then of course, Barry, uh, for that fifth spot, you're, I mean, let's forget Alex Chieson. Finally, we can knock him out of the equation. James Neal also not going to be part of it. I guess Yamamoto is the best other fifth man option on that top unit. But I'd be curious to see if Edmonton wants to experiment with three forwards, two defensemen, especially if they really uh, do believe in Bouchard and want to get him some experience. They are both right-handed though. Um, oh. Barry I'm... and Bouchard. Yeah. Okay. I misheard so, you. I thought you said that mm, they... Okay. No, they're the same. So if they... <laughs> uh, start... Okay. I wasn't clear on that. They're the same handedness. So if they like the setup that Barry runs and maybe they want to give the rookie a shot is kind of what I was making, um, making a point of. So that kind of helps to help him maybe get second power play time, because if they set it up the same way with the same handedness, they might, uh, they might like that. They tend to do that. So, yeah, but I don't, I don't think there's a, yeah, there's not a left hand, right hand thing going on. Okay. Uh, I do know that Tim Stutzle shoots left. I'm so prepared to share that piece of information with him ranked ninth by the Vegas odds at plus 1800. He completes the top three picks from the 2020 first round on this list of Calder candidates. Uh, Of course he's injured right now, so we can't really see what he's capable of at the moment. But the last time we saw him with Adler Mannheim, 34 points in 41 games, uh, which is great. But of course it's in the German league, which Victor, I actually am curious, what does that tell you in terms of equivalencies? Where does the German league rank uh, in terms of being relevant competition that you can use to say, okay, yeah, this is how he's going to handle NHL quality competition. It's certainly lower than some of the other leagues. Uh, There's a list of the equivalencies somewhere. I don't have it fully memorized, but I know the KHL is up there with the AHL and then there's the Sweden league and then the Liga. And then I think probably the Czech and German league are there. And then the NCAA is actually fairly high. And I know that the OHL, QMJHL and WHL are, are, quite a bit lower than that so it's somewhere in that middle range it's it's not certainly that high but it's uh, it's a professional league so it's you know it's it's decent he seems like someone Stutzle who 
could very well get an opportunity to start the year in Ottawa, uh, right? Anything to get, uh, of course, now I'm thinking of it. Well, no, they're not going to burn a year of his contract when people came to actually come see him in person. Uh, that would make financial sense to Eugene Melnick. So that's, there's my Melnick conspiracy theory for the episode. You can cross that off your bingo card. But aside from that, is Stutzley someone who uh, can or should just start his NHL career already because there is plenty of room for him to step in on the Senator's depth chart. Yeah, I think so. I think there's mixed, uh, mixed signals and you're, you're in Ottawa. I'm sure you're hearing some things. I have some other Ottawa connections that I probed and it, you know, it certainly sounds like they want him to be in the NHL, but he does have a contract with Adler Mannheim that says that he's not allowed out until the end of the contract. I know there's some discussion that the centers may be able to strong arm them and, and release him. Um, and you also mentioned he's injured. He actually is just better and he's just starting to shoot pucks. He had a wrist uh, fracture and he's back shooting pucks and he is going to be on the world junior roster for Germany. And um, I, th- I think that the senators want him there. I don't know that it's actually going to happen. So this would be a big risky pick for me, for the Calder for several reasons. One who knows whether he'll even be in Ottawa. I think there's, there's traction, but it's, it's still a question mark. He's also young, as you mentioned. So that doesn't favor him being an 18 year old. He'll be 19 in January. So he will be 19 by the end. And uh, you know, his equivalency is pretty good. He's, he's compares mostly to guys like Tange, Alex Tange, who had a 55 point rookie season, also somewhat similar to Nick Backstrom, who had a 69 point rookie season. So there's definitely some possibility there. And as you mentioned, Definitely could be, you know, top top six at least, if not top line material right off the bat in Ottawa. So that helps him. But then it's not like it's a it's a very talented or super, you know, high end top six. So that doesn't necessarily help him. So I think that he could be a pretty good rookie. Um, I don't I don't have him on my list because for all those reasons, I think it'd be a bit of a risky play. Yeah, I I actually, I really tend to agree with you about that last piece, how there's no one around. If we talked about how there's no one for Byfield or Turcotte to play with, uh, there certainly is similarly little for Stutzla to play with. If he plays center, uh, his wingers could probably be Artemanisimov and Connor Brown. And then if he plays the left wing, then his centerman is probably Chris Tierney or very best case scenario, Colin White. So... Uh, yeah, it feels like this probably wouldn't be a great time to get a first look at him as a Sens fan. I'm like, okay, let him um, let him develop another year. Let's just with, there's no need to burn a year of his contract. So I'm actually uh, hashtag Team Melnick on this one. One player who is certainly going to get uh, more play than Stutzla this year is Ilya Sorokin who is ranked 10th, who runs at the top 10 in Vegas odds, but he's like the next tier. So we had Shostyorkin, Lafreniere, and Kaprizov in that top tier. Then Dosenko, Byfield, Turcotte, Byron, Bouchard, and Stutz on the next tier. And now we're getting into the long shots. Uh, Ilya Sorokin sort of between the Stutzla and the rest of the long shot field in terms of likelihood at plus 25,100 to win the Calder. Uh, but it seems very likely that Sorokin is going to see substantial NHL time this season. I would figure him to be uh, in like, he's playing for the Islanders. So he's got a good shot at just splitting starts. He'll be the Grice to Varlamov. Uh, now that Grice is not in the picture uh, and Sorokin is going to be one of the oldest 
uh, candidates vying for the Calder Trophy trophy this year at 25 years old. He's drafted all the way back in 2014 in the third round by the Isles, and I'm sure they cannot wait to see uh, the fruits of their labor finally show up in the NHL wearing an Islanders jersey. He's had some amazing, amazing KHL seasons to end his Russian career. 935, 940, 931, 929, 950. Every season he's played in Russia has just been incredible. Uh, Those are just his save percentages going from most recent to beyond. Uh, So Ilya Sorokin sure seems poised to take the next step in his career. When he takes that step in the NHL, Victor, do you think he's going to be able to steal any starts from Farlamov? Yes, is the very short and easy answer there. And I think it's almost disrespectful that you compared him to Tomas Grice because he is uh-huh. way, way, way better than Grice. Um, it's it's interesting. Uh, he is, he's like you mentioned, amazing his if you if you want to if, if you're not a subscriber to hockey prospecting model i highly encourage it and if you go over and look at the goalie model this is about as best as you can do sorokin if you just look at him compared to andre vasilevsky he was pretty much similar to vasilevsky in his draft season and every season after that blows him pretty much out of the water so he is that much better than one of the best russian goalies we've ever seen He's amazing. And I think, you know, for Dynasty, obviously people know about him and they've owned him forever. Uh, and even for redraft leagues, I think that the play that I would make is I would not draft Varlamov. I would draft Sorokin later if I can. And I think that he steals the job and is a very good shot. I think he's he's top three on my list to win the caller. I think I have him ahead of Sorokin for several reasons. One, I think he might even be better. If not, he's similarly good to Shostyrkin. And you can quibble about who's better. And realistically, we know that it comes down to variance and certainly team situation, right? And there's no question that the Islanders are going to have a better situation than the Rangers will be. We know what they've done for guys like Rice and Leonard. I mean, I think Leonard's good on his own and so is Varlamov, but we've seen them be so much better in that system. And that's going to be Sorokin. He doesn't even need that good of a system, but he has it. So it's going to be... It's it's just going to be really really good for him, and I think that there's a there's a really good chance that he walks away with the trophy, even as we mentioned splitting starts and whatever. I just think that uh, you're not going to be able to score on the Islanders with Sorokin in the in the net in their system. It's going to be it's going to be pretty fun to watch. Yeah, with Sorokin and Ned and Trotz behind the bench, uh, that really is a great way to lock down your opponent's offense. So hopefully Sorokin is up to the task. He has nothing left to prove anywhere else. And I think that's a a really interesting take. While Shostorkin is definitely going to be the super hot commodity in drafts, if you can sort of sneak Sorokin along later in the draft, especially if you see Varlamov go before him, that would be a great signal to you that, okay, it's now time to make sure you draft Sorokin with your next pick. Uh, and that would be a nice warning to have. I, I honestly feel like in most leagues, Varlamov is going to go first. So uh, that's a really hot tip from you, Victor, on where you should expect Sorokin to uh, to land on the Islanders depth chart as being like at least a 50-50 guy. And then uh, just being able to crush his minutes in that time. I think, honestly, I think you could throw a lot of goalies into the Islanders system and they'll do very well. But Sorokin, if he's as good as, uh, if he's as good as his hype says he is and his Russian numbers say he is, then I, I'm curious to see just how high a save percentage he can put up. All right. So for completion's sake, 
uh, we are going to rhyme off the last six names on this list that odds makers have made for who is most likely to win the Calder Trophy. Uh, I'm just going to rhyme them off, as I said, Victor, and you can tell me if any one of these catches your eyes being a legit candidate. They're all very dark horse material, at 3,500, and they are as follows. You've got Nick Robertson in Toronto, Trevor Zegras in Anaheim, Alex Romanov in Montreal, Morgan Frost in Philly, Gabe Velarde in LA, another center prospect in uh, LA, and then Dylan Cousins over in Buffalo. Between those six players, Victor, do you see any of these guys being more deserving than the other uh, at being seen to have a legit chance at Calder Trophy winning? Not really. And just to kind of run through them real quickly, Robertson, I like Robertson a lot. He's showed really well. He's also really young. Um, and and his, his best comp is a 50-point rookie, Jerome Aginla. So that would be great, but I don't think he has the opportunity in Toronto, right? He's he's going to be lucky if he gets into the third line, which you know, good luck getting getting you know past fifty points in that in that deployment. Trevor Zegras is great, and I think that he's you know got Larkin like upside, but there's no reason for Anaheim to play him this year either because he's you know he's young, and he needs to develop. So most likely he's going to be with the goals of the AHL, and uh, and he's not even going to play this season. So. That one I don't really understand either. Um, Romanov, I think, is probably going to get a shot this year for Montreal. And, you know, maybe he can carve out a third-pairing type guy. But the thing about Romanov is that he's not really a high-point producer. So is he really going to win the Calder by just being a serviceable third, maybe second-pairing guy if everything breaks right? I think in best-case scenario, Romanov is Adam Fox light, which, uh, you know, didn't even... Fox didn't even get that close to winning the Calder. So I don't think that Romanoff is going to be that guy. I think he has a pretty good season, but um, by different metrics, not scoring. Morgan Frost uh, is a really interesting guy. I think that he has a decent shot of being a third line center in Philly, which would be great for him, but I don't think that he's going to score enough or impress enough to be even close to winning the Calder. So I don't understand that one. Gabe Velarde. I think has a decent shot of all these six that you mentioned, probably Velarde has the best shot because he's the guy that's had some injuries and he's kind of come around. He's looked good in the AHL and his rehab stints and then looked decent in his handful of games in the NHL. And certainly LA has opportunity for him. So it's possible. I think that he's more like a hurdle, which is like a, you know, two C maybe one C on a bad team kind of, kind of guy. Um, and maybe he gets the opportunity and puts up 50 ish points, but uh, unlikely that that's enough to win the Calder. So I think that he could have a pretty decent season, but I don't think it's going to be enough. And Dylan cousins. Yeah. I don't, you know, it's, it's questionable whether he'll even make it, you know, it's, it's, it's possible that he will certainly Buffalo um, could use him, but uh, I don't think it's terribly likely that he has a huge impact in his first season. So long-term I like cousins a lot, but yeah, probably not, not terribly likely. So all of those guys I think are pretty unlikely. And as you mentioned, I think I have some guys that are more likely than, than those last few. Okay. Yeah. Let's definitely get to them because those six that you mentioned, really all of them have someone standing in their way. It's a, it's a real deployment issue for them to get an opportunity to actually show their stuff. Um, I mean, some really exciting names. Gabe Filardi is someone who also sort of sticks out. But again, uh, same problem as Turcotte and Byfield in LA. It's like in a year or two, they could they could sweep all the Calder nominations. No problem. But uh, for now, if they're coming in piecemeal and 
half ready, uh, not totally developed, then of course it's not going to go terribly well. Dylan Cousins is someone who of course interested me before the Sabres acquired Eric Stahl. So now they're not going to obviously push him into the lineup uh, needlessly. That seems to just be a, a hint that he's not going to get a huge opportunity this year. And Zgrass, I also is a name that also stands out to me from this list. But uh, like you said, there's no reason for Anaheim to to throw him into the spotlight on a team that you know, is actually coming along a a little further in the rebuild process than the Kings. So that'll favor him when he does get his shot, but just don't know that it'll be this year. Okay. Victor, we've been through Vegas's list, uh, but now we got to go to Victor's list. And again, if you're in a dynasty league, like this is invaluable stuff to consider, to know uh, not just how a player is going to do, we're not just talking about them being ready for their Calder season. We're talking about uh, how their whole career might look. Of course, the sooner they produce, the better, and that gives uh, prospects some extra value to your roster. But this is uh, so far a ton of juicy, juicy info about what to expect from all these guys as pros. Um, Now let's get to the list that I am much more interested in, Victor, which is your likelihood of winning the Calder Trophy rankings. Uh, I'm going to let you give the headline here for who is at the top of your list. Victor's favorite to win the Calder trophy in 2021 is drum roll. Oh, that was probably really annoying for anyone listening. So just say it. Kirill Kaprizov is who I'm taking. I, we already mentioned all the reasons why I think there's a great situation opportunity. He's older. Yeah. I, I like Kaprizov. I know that Elon agrees with me and uh, yeah, I think that that's decent odds for a guy who's pretty likely. Okay, so Kirill Kraprizov uh, listed as the third most likely in Vegas. You've got him number one. And uh, yeah, for all the reasons we discussed, I agree with you. Your number two, though, does not have odds listed on him. So we're already into Victor going off the board territory. Victor, who is Yuso Valamaki and why is he your second Calder favorite this year? I was going to say, Yusuf Alamaki is the future Calder winner. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, maybe. I think there's a good chance. So it, it, I'm surprised he didn't have odds because Valamaki is a guy who's had hype. He was drafted fairly high back in 2017, 16th overall. And he was he's actually already played in the NHL. He played in 18-19. He had 24 games. Didn't put up a ton of points, uh, but he also didn't really have a whole big opportunity. He was playing bottom pairing, um, sitting in the press box, and then went back to Stockton and got in more games. And then he was about to play last season, and he tore his ACL in training camp. So that was really devastating. And he's been playing since the Europe leagues have been playing. He's been over in the Liga, and he's a point-per-game player in the Liga with good opportunity to run the power play and showing what he can do. And just as you as you were mentioning about equivalencies, Brian, the Liga is not a high-scoring league. It's a very low-scoring league. So to be a point-per-game as a defenseman in the Liga is ridiculous. So he is very good. And he is very ready to jump in and play top minutes in the NHL. Now, was he going to get that opportunity? Of course, we do not know the answer to that. I think that it's very likely that an opportunity is there for him. I mean, Calgary doesn't have, um, I mean, they have some pretty good defensemen. Giordano has been slowing down quite a bit. And actually, Dauber says that that's a pretty good comparable for Valamaki. And so, He's got some pretty good upside, and if he gets the opportunity, which I think he's not going to come in like Quinn Hughes. I don't think he's he's that good. He's not that high level, but if he gets the opportunity, they kind of ease him in probably 
and he can get the defensive assignments. And if he gets a run at the top power play, I think he's going to be similar to Hughes in that way that he might not let it go once he gets there, because I think he can be pretty dynamic and he uh, certainly can rack up points with that uh, pretty talented Calgary power play. So I think the situation is pretty good for him. And I would definitely like him better than a lot of these other guys in terms of the odds. So yeah, Valamaki is, uh, is up there. It's so nice to hear you say that Valamaki is someone who can just come in and take over, which is refreshing after our discussions about Bowen Byram and Evan Bouchard. Valamaki, you're right. Has I mean, I made the case for Giordano staying the top power play quarterback, and it was have to needle Elon, but also uh, I always sort of uh, give a little extra weight to the incumbent. But if Valamaki is as good as you say he is, then it's not going to take a whole lot to knock off Giordano. And there's nobody else really in the running to take on that big offensive role in Calgary. So I am very excited to see if Valamaki at age 22 uh, can make the jump into the NHL, not just into the NHL, but to be a consistently point-producing defenseman, that top power play has enough playmakers and scorers on it for the quarterback to just be able to pick up points. And I'm not worried about someone like Noah Hannafin taking that role instead of Valamaki. So I think a lot of this depends on how ready Giordano is to be able to hang on to this role for dear life, even though he kind of already lost it last season and whether the flames are ready to move on from him, or at least going to start with him back there. Um, If there were, a longer preseason or any preseason this year, that would definitely be one of the storylines I'd be looking at. But Valamaki seems to me like a really great impact rookie that you could probably draft as a flyer later on in your drafts. And then if he doesn't work out, you just drop him real quick. If it seems to be Giordano flourishing on that top power play. Okay. So Kaprizov, Valamaki, then I'm going to keep going. Uh, you have Sorokin at number three, Shesturkin at number four, and you mentioned why you have Sorokin over Shesturkin already, so we're not going to revisit that. And then at number five, you have somebody else missing from the odds makers list, drafted by the Wild, who suddenly, you know, with Fiala, Kaprizov, and Marco Rossi, seem like they're doing pretty well in some respects and just still terrible in others. But Marco Rossi is a guy who a lot of people said just fell so much further than he deserved to fall in the drafts. There was talk that he would have even been a good third pick for Ottawa instead of Stutzla. So Victor, everyone's super high on Marco Rossi. You are too, as being a legit Calder candidate. I am. It was criminal that he fell to ninth overall, quite honestly. I mean, I know that in fantasy, we talk about him being, you know, maybe the third or fourth best player in this draft and and I think in real life too he 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 makes a lot of sense I think of obviously the knock is that he's five foot nine and that he can't can't play you know those tough minutes but uh I I don't there's a lot of people that are that argue that point I'm not and I don't I don't believe that that's going to be the case he's very strong he's he's not one of these guys that gets pushed off you know his lower his his legs are huge and he is very physical even though he's smaller and he doesn't get pushed around so that'd be a concern if he did get pushed around Um, And maybe he doesn't play down the middle, but I still think he could. But if you're just looking at his equivalency, he is extremely high. I mean, his comparables are guys like Eric Lindros, you know, Daniel Breer, Dale Howarchuk, who we mentioned, won the Calder way back when, Pierre Turgeon, Brian Rolston. These are are guys that were very, very good. And 
uh, you know, I think that when when you look at the equivalency, he looks most like Eric Lindros, who you remember, the only reason he wasn't in the NHL in his first season is because he held out and didn't want to sign with the Nordiques, but he would have been right there in the NHL. And there's no reason to think really that Rossi can't step right into the NHL, even though he was drafted ninth overall realistically he should have been third or fourth and so don't just look at his draft position and say well how's he going to get a chance he very well could and of course it's also possible that he won't so that's part of the reason why he's a little bit lower but I think that if he gets the opportunity he can certainly work his way up to the 1c and I think that if you just look at like talent level there's no one that has a higher upside than him to be the first line center in Minnesota. And that doesn't mean he's going to be it. It doesn't mean he achieves that, but it's certainly possible. And if he does get to play with Fiala and Kaprizov, well, then they could all make beautiful magic together and we could stop thinking about Minnesota not being able to (laughs) score because they will score a lot. I'm just drooling at the prospect of that. Of course, it leaves Zach Parisi for the rest of the wild lineup. But man, you know, we're talking about how Fiala has possibly no one to really play with and Kaprizov possibly has no one and Rossi, if you could just slide in there, then everybody has someone to play with all of a sudden. That would be great. Uh, You mentioned his equivalency was really high, which I think is a big accomplishment considering that he's in the OHL, which you said was in the lower rated equivalency leagues. Um, something just really pops in his numbers. When he first came over to North America after having played in Switzerland, uh, he joined the Ottawa 67s, 65 points in 53 games, which like in the OHL, all right, cool. You're one of your team's top forwards. Congratulations. No big deal. But then in his second season, he played three more games and scored 55 more points than he did in his first year with Ottawa. Victor, is that a common jump that we see in prospects uh like whether or not they're coming over internationally or does that signal something really unique and exciting about Rossi no it's the latter he he's definitely done some historic things I don't remember all the numbers off the top of my head but the hand the number of guys that have done better than what he's done this past season you can count on one hand it's it's a very small number and if you just look at his his draft equivalency, he has a higher NHL equivalency than Lafreniere, than Byfield, than anyone in this entire draft class. And and if, and uh, and one thing that they do over at Hockey Prospecting not only is looking at star potential, but how likely they are to be an NHLer. And he has the highest of anyone. He's the highest in this entire draft class. So that is that says a lot. I mean, guys do bust out, even though they look good in certain models that happens, you know, we've definitely seen it happen, but the likelihood that Rossi is going to bust out is very, very small. So I I'm definitely high on him and I'm trying to get my hands on him wherever I can. And, and, and another guy take at the end of your redraft and it could go gangbusters for you and win you your league. And if, and if he doesn't end up playing and you know, whatever, then, uh, then you drop him. Yeah, that really says something that you are ranking Rossi not just fifth on this Calder list, but ahead of anybody else from his draft class. You've got Lafreniere at sixth, and at seventh, you've got uh, someone who was on our radars last year as being a potential Calder candidate, but didn't end up seeing a whole lot of time in the NHL, not enough to take him out of contention. He saw 20 games. This is Barrett Hayton, who had four points in the 20 games he played with Arizona, and then he played some of the play-in games too. Um, not very impactful, but also didn't have a huge role offered to him. Now he's 20 years old. Uh, he was drafted back fifth overall in 2018 by the Coyotes. Is this the year? I mean, you're saying, I guess, that this is a year Barrett Hayton could take a big step forward. 
Yeah, this is a guy that I have high mainly because he's older and he has a great opportunity in Arizona to be the top line center. But, you know, what is that top line center really going to be able to do in Arizona? Is it really going to be able to hit a super high ceiling? I don't know. I'm not super confident in him having a high upside. I think his upside is closer to like a 60, 70 point guy at, you know, maxing out, which isn't super high, but he also is, is good two way internationally. He's been fantastic. And so when you put him against his peers and as he develops, he's shown very well. So I like that. And I think that, yeah, who's going to be the top line center ahead of him. I mean, you know, maybe Dvorak, maybe some other guys, but realistically it, it certainly could be him as early as this season. And if that is the case, you know, he's going to get a lot of minutes and he could get, you know, he'll get all the opportunities. And if they can learn how to score, then, you know, he might be a decent option. So it's for him, it's, it's not necessarily individually. I like him as much as some of these other guys, but he has a great opportunity and he's a bit older, which is certainly going to help him. And that, and that situation in Arizona could be, could be decent for him. He's an interesting guy in that he was drafted in 2018 after his second year in the OHL played a third year in the OHL Uh, after that and then we really haven't seen much of him over the last year like there's not a lot of recent stuff he played like I said there's 20 games in the NHL only five AHL games last season of course had a great world junior tournament in Canada scoring some key goals while like with one arm I can't remember exactly what the injury was but uh, really came through as captain of that team but again we just haven't seen a lot of him in the last year usually You just get more excited from seeing more and more and more from these guys as they get closer to the NHL. But that hasn't been the case for Hayton. Is that any reason to be concerned, Victor? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't think like in in a dynasty league, I I don't have him super high. It's mostly about opportunity for him. And, and this is a debate we have often in dynasty is like, do you want the guy who has the clear opportunity and maybe a lower ceiling, or do you want the guy that has a high ceiling, but he may be blocked. And that's just a philosophical, you know, question that you have to answer for yourself. And all of us have different opinions. I tend towards the super high upside guys, but in certain situations, you know, you can't have all those guys either. You have to have sort of a mix of, of both of them. And so that's part of the reason why I have Hayden here, because I, I think the opportunity is good, even even though, yeah, there's there's concerns about what's, you know, what what did he do this year? What can he do in the future? Um, I don't know. I, there's definitely some questions there. But uh, in terms of could it go really well and could he end up on that ballot? I think there's a decent chance. Okay, so you have Hayden ranked seventh in amongst Calder candidates here. Interesting piece, by the way. Uh, we're at seven. You've named four players uh, who were already on the odds makers list, and you have no more that you share in your top 10 plus two honorable mentions with the list that we already talked about with the odds makers, which to be honest, isn't that surprising after hearing you talk about a lot of those players. So let's hear some more about there's five guys here that you're more excited about than the ones that odds makers are ready to rank in their list. And interestingly enough, you have one more member of the 2020 draft class here, but it's not Quentin Byfield. It's not Tim Stutzley. Uh, it's actually the guy who was taken right after Marco Rossi, Cole Perfetti, drafted 10th overall by Winnipeg. And he has uh, put up some pretty convincing numbers over the last couple of years with Saginaw of the OHL. Uh, and I guess they're enough to convince you, Victor, that there's enough there for him to be considered a better shot at the Calder than many of the nine guys drafted ahead of him. Yeah, I like Perfetti. And, you know, quite honestly, he might be a bit higher uh, if it weren't a little bit 
you know, the situation is interesting for him in, in, in Winnipeg, right? So he, he, he signed and it looks like he is going to get a shot, which, you know, it certainly looks by his equivalency that he probably should. But of course, they have Shifley, they have now Stastny for a second turn. So it's unlikely that Perfetti is going to get a great opportunity. I mean, if he sticks in the bottom six and has a, you know, 40 point season, that would probably be a success. But it's possible that he does more. And so I do like him. And, 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 and you know, maybe he, he turns it on and, and shows really well his top equivalency is Matt Barzal and so he looks a bit like Barzal in the model and of course we know what Barzal did in his rookie season so it's very possible that he has a strong showing like that Um, but of course uh, I don't know that the situation that the opportunity is going to be there for him but if he does happen to be a 2C with those great wingers that they have in Winnipeg then yeah he could for sure rocket to the top of the list so He's he's at eight because it's a little. There's a lot of questions there, but he certainly is good enough, I think, to earn the opportunity. And it's just a matter of whether he can get it or not. So that's why Perfetti is at eight. I would say it's a bit of a sad irony that the Jets, after missing that two C for so long, finally have two options because they acquired Stasny. But because Perfetti is just eighteen, I guess I'm not really considering him a legit option. And I think the fact that Stasny's contract expires at the end of the season is actually really great news for Perfetti who if he makes an impact this year and shows himself to be ready for the NHL or ready for that next step he's walking into a really sweet situation between Liney and Ehlers of course Liney's an RFA after this year so I'm just going to operate on the assumption that he's still there for now I think that's a safe assumption but uh, once he does make it to the NHL like you said he's got a really great pair of wingers and a job that potentially he could step right into if Stasny isn't retained by Winnipeg, and I wonder if his development is going to influence their choice to do that. All right, number nine on your list is a guy we've been talking about for a couple years in New Jersey, where it's just like, can somebody please just step up and quarterback a freaking power play here? We've had Will Butcher. We've had Damon Severson. I feel like we've had Marek Zidlitsky, although that was so many years ago now. Uh, now, uh, and then we had P.K. Subban, didn't pan out. Is Ty Smith finally going to be the one who can get some points from the blue line on that New Jersey Devils team? It's been so frustrating when it's like, yeah, there should be a, like one more defensive quarterback that you can roster and get points from on a consistent basis. But we spoke at length last season about how few points came from the back end on that Devils power play or just team. So finally, Ty Smith, we've been waiting for him to come along and waiting and waiting and waiting. Is is he ready, Victor? Is he going to be the power play quarterback in New Jersey worth drafting? I think so. I think New Jersey certainly hopes so. He is... He was actually cut last year in camp, which looked like he was going to make it. So it was, it was a bit of surprising. We we did think last season he had a good shot, but it wasn't a bad thing for him to spend his fourth season in Spokane for the WHL. And he had some things to work on. He definitely has some defensive warts and some positioning issues. And so that has gotten a lot better. We know he can put up points. He can put up a lot of points. In fact, if you want to go look at Twitter, some of the the things that he's done, he's amazing. And so... That's pretty fun to see. But the question is whether he's ready to step into the Devils lineup. I don't know. Um, He's too old now for the WHL, so he's going to turn pro. He's going to either be in the NHL or the AHL. And again, like we said, 
because the NHL is starting first and they, there's not going to give me an option for him to be in the AHL uh, until February. So it's possible that he just sticks around. We'll see. I think that it's, there's a pretty good chance that, you know, he just has to be better than Connor Carrick and Dmitry Kulikov. I don't think that's a pretty high bar. I think that there's a pretty good chance, you know, his equivalency looks, has him looking like Victor Hedman, Lubomir Vishnovsky, um, who are pretty high end producers, but also somewhat like Josh Morrissey and Feder Tutin. So, you know, maybe somewhere in between there. Um, I think that his, his high, his high end offensive skills can certainly can be the difference for that power play. So if he gets the opportunity and if he's defensively improved enough, which it seems like he is, or at least he's pretty close. So that's why I have him on this list because he certainly is primed for that opportunity. And if he gets it and runs with it, you know, it's not going to be Quinn Hughes again, because I think that was a pretty unique situation, but I think it'll be close. And New Jersey certainly has some great young forwards that, uh, you know, can 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 hopefully take another step forward. I think they can. And so that could be pretty exciting. Another guy that in redraft I might take, you know, near the end and uh, and watch that very closely because he certainly could put up a ton of points. Right. So if you're looking to fill out that third or fourth or fifth D roster spot and Valamaki's already been taken by someone who knows, uh, maybe Ty Smith is going to be out there for you to add as a flyer, uh, someone who really could pan out and win that role and make Uh, make points happen for you from the blue line all season long with those caveats that you sort of mentioned about the NHL and AHL situation. And then to round out your top 10, Victor, uh, a guy I'm not even going to pretend to say I know a lot about. To be honest, I rarely hear his name. I don't know how often I've read it. His name is Samuel Poulin, and I guess he plays in the QMJHL for the Sherbrooke Phoenix and is off to a great start this season. Six points in his first five games. Uh, He's a dual eligible winger it looks like an all-around player he's uh, on Pittsburgh by the way for anyone who's wondering which I wouldn't know until I just told myself drafted 21st overall back in 2019 I'm gonna let you uh, speak from a more knowledgeable perspective here on Samuel Poulin because clearly I don't know anything about this guy who is he well, as you mentioned, he was uh, drafted fairly high by the Penguins, who tend to, like the Sharks, like to trade away their first-round picks. So they haven't had a bunch of them. And so he is not the guy that has the highest individual upside, but he's quite literally the only legit forward in the entire prospect system for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So he is their prized prospect. And, you know, he had a really great draft plus one season. And, you know, he's already actually played uh, the Q, played a few games this season, and now they're shut down. And he was similarly good. So he looks good. The the hockey prospecting model has him looking like Max Pacioretty, who's a pretty good comparable. And, um, you know, Pacioretty in his rookie campaign had a 27-point pace. But the thing that makes me super excited about Pauline is that, as we know, Pittsburgh has some great top end centers. And if he gets an opportunity, he's going into that top six and he's going to get to play with either Malkin or Crosby. And we know that those guys can make superstars out of just about anybody. So if he, if he gets a turn, which, you know, he's still a little young, he probably should be in the AHL this season. So I don't, the, the reason he's so low is I don't think it's terribly likely, but if he does make the team, 
and they want to give him a shot and they put him in the top six and he clicks with, you know, one of those two guys, then he could absolutely go on a tear. And yes, he could be like Kubelik, right? You know, get a pretty good um, showing in, in the Calder race. So that's why I have Pulin here. I think that his opportunity could be really good. And even though individually, I don't think he has, like, if you put him on a third line or, you know, away from one of those two centers, I don't think he is even in this conversation, but that's not where we are. And so, yeah, he's got a decent shot. Okay. Yeah. We're always interested on guys who play on the wing of an elite center, especially that revolving door of what's been a revolving door in Pittsburgh with Crosby and Malkin. I will uh, temper my enthusiasm because I have a list as long as my arm of players who, like you, you said, how anyone who plays with Crosby and Malkin is worth a flyer. And you're absolutely right. But the hit rate on those guys is just so freaking low. Like maybe they'll help you in one matchup or you'll get lucky for like a quick run. But so many players have landed there and not come through. So I'm going to temper my excitement about Samuel Poulin, but I definitely will be looking for him if he is on the NHL roster to potentially be getting a shot and at least start out as like a streaming option that maybe can evolve into something more. If he does see more success than that laundry list of wingers who have been tried and uh, mostly failed uh, in becoming fantasy relevant players besides Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Uh, so that rounds out your top 10. I'm just going to summarize it again. Victor's top 10 candidates for the Calder Trophy are Kiel Kaprizov, Yusuf Alamaki, Ilya Sorokin, Igor Shostyarkin, Marco Rossi, Alexi Lafreniere, Barrett Hayton, Cole Perfetti, Ty Smith, and Samuel Poulin. But just as a little bonus, Victor, you have two honorable mentions, Kevin Lankinen over in Chicago and Alexei Melnichuk over in San Jose, both goalies. You think they've got a shot? Well, not a great one. That's why they're honorable mentions. Uh, Kevin Lankinen is nothing special, but you know he only has to outperform Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban, which I don't think is a terribly high bar. The other thing that's not good, similar to San Jose, is Chicago. I don't think is going to be good. So you know Lankinen would have to go on a heroic run, but you know it's possible. Melichuk, on the other hand, is a very good prospect and he looks really good in this hockey prospecting model that I was mentioning undrafted signed by the sharks because he has the opportunity to be a starter. And that's, uh, that's something he might even get to do. He's right now on loan over in the KHL. And one of the things that was interesting about him is that he came up in the Ska St. Petersburg system. And so a lot of goalies look really good in that system because it's pretty much an all-star team that they have there. And so there was always the question of, Oh, he's just, you know, in that system, he's not really that good. Well, he actually has been um, loaned. Well, he he's signed with the Sharks and loaned over to Torpedo, which is a different team in the KHL. And he's got a nine twelve with a two point six AGA for a not very good team. And so that's pretty good for a goalie who's still pretty young. He's only twenty two. So he's on loan. He's going to be in camp. He's going to come back to San Jose. Or well, actually, they're not going to have camp in San Jose. They're going to have it somewhere in the Bay Area, anyways. And and he only has to you know outperform Jones or Dubnik, which I don't think is also a terribly high bar. But probably one of them would have to get injured or have some issue because they're going to roll with that tandem. So he's down there because it's a it's a it's an unlikely situation. But if he ever does get in that net, I think he's the best goalie of the three. That really excites me, and must excite you as a Sharks fan to think that there is somebody on the horizon who might be able to come in and do good things in the San Jose net. It's been so long since anyone has been able to do good things in the San Jose net. Obviously, as you mentioned, they added Dubnik to, like, I guess, buy another lottery ticket to put alongside Martin Jones in terms of 
finding a guy who can actually play consistently for any reasonable stretch of time. So I would love to see Malnichuk get a shot, though. And one really uh, interesting piece is that he does come from that SKA St. Petersburg system. Two recent graduates of it, Igor Shostakhin and Miko Koskinen. So take your pick. Uh, <laughs> whether or not uh, he's going to be more like Shostakhin or more like Koskinen, it sounds like Victor, you're you're kind of in the middle on Melnichuk, right? I think he's in. The, he's he's definitely not Shostakhin, but he, I think he's better than Koskinen. Okay, great. That's what I would hope to hear. Better than Koskinen is a start to being an NHL goaltender. Um, okay, so we are just about done the show, but if you think that hearing about oh my gosh, how many like total over 20 called a candidates was going to be all we did. You're wrong. You're so wrong because Victor, I tell you, this guy does his homework for you. So thank him, please. Uh, at Victor Nuno 12 on Twitter. Did I get that right? Yep. Yes. Okay. Uh, you can thank him on Twitter later for what he's about to give you, which is a bunch of other guys to consider who aren't on odds makers radar for the Calder Trophy. They're not really even on Victor's radar for the Calder Trophy, at least his primary radar. But there's, there's another group of names who could come in who uh, most people in your drafts might not have heard of or in Dynasty Leagues, they might be undervalued, who could come in and be something this year or hopefully shortly after. And we're going to do them in sort of a lightning round style. So some other guys to consider for the Calder Trophy or just for your fantasy team's long-term prospects uh, you've got a list of about just over 10 here. Um, and we're going to lightning round them, which means that I'm going to say a name. And then Victor, you're going to tell us about them for like 15 or 20 seconds. And we're just going to go keep going rapid fire through this. This never works when I do it with Elon. Let's see if it works with you and me. Are you ready? Do it. All right. First off, Anton Lundell. Lundell was one of the draftees this season, and he's probably one of the most NHL-ready prospects from the 2020 draft, and he's tearing up the Liga right now. He plays for Florida, so he could rise to the 2C. He just has to pass Wenberg. I think it's possible, but also kind of unlikely, so that's why he's, he's down here on this side of the list. But yeah, he, he certainly could go, go on a run. All right, and then we have Jake Bean on defense for Carolina, drafted 13th overall in 2016. Jake Bean is one of the most NHL-ready defenders who hasn't played in the NHL, and and he is really good. His one of his best comparables is Shea Theodore, who's you know doing pretty well for Vegas. The main problem with Bean is that he doesn't really have a lot of room on Carolina. They have some great defenders, so he'd have to pass Hayden Fleury or Joachim Ryan, which isn't a terribly high bar. Um, or maybe there's an injury to one of the other guys. So, uh, but the problem is, of course, he's not going to displace Dougie Hamilton. So that's why his upside is kind of capped. Uh, I think he could have a pretty good season. I don't think he wins the Calder, but um, definitely a guy that you might want to look into for your for your um, redraft league. Here's someone who's been on these lists before, over from Nashville, Ali Tolvanen, originally ranked, originally drafted. 30th overall back in 2017 still has yet to make a career as an NHLer full time. You still have some faith, Victor? Not really, but he's a guy to kind of keep your eye on. I wouldn't even draft him, but I would, I would watch him because he, you know, he was did really well in the KHL a few seasons ago and we were all excited and, and he never really 
did that well in the AHL, although his last uh, few games in the AHL this past season was pretty good, and he's got half point per game in the KHL right now for Joe Carrit. So, you know, it's possible, and certainly Nashville could use him. So, you know, it's not out of the realm of possible. So keep an, he's more of a, like a watch list guy. Keep an eye on him. It's possible, but not likely. Over in the St. Louis system, we've got a 22-year-old defenseman, goes by the name of Scott Perunovich, drafted 45th overall in 2018. What about him? Perunovich is is very good, and he is a guy who has won at the NCAA level. He won the Hobie Baker. He won the NCAA championship. He's a smallish guy, but he plays really smart and really well. He's got a, comparables to guys like Chris Letang, Brian Campbell, and Mike Green. So he's got offensive pop, but he's also good all around. So Perunovich is a guy who probably will be in the NHL this season, or maybe they put him in the A, but you know he's a guy who could certainly be up to a middle-pairing defenseman as early as this season uh, I don't think he steals the job from Tory Krug but you know down the road maybe and certainly if something happens to Krug they might turn to him ahead of Pareko and um, you know maybe some other guys but unlikely but Prunovich is definitely a guy who's gonna probably get some minutes pretty soon here and then in Chicago you've got a 24 year old left shooting forward Pius Suter who I know, I think Elon just drafted him in a dynasty league and is suddenly mm-hmm. really pumped about him. I'm not sure if those two facts are correlated. Should Elon be as excited about Pius Suter as he seems to be? Well, I don't think so. Um, and it, partly because he's a little bit smaller and not quite as good and didn't do quite as well as Dominique Kubalik in the same league, in the same situation in the in the past uh, and and we saw what Kubelik did. It was pretty pretty good. And so, it's certainly possible. But is Lightning going to strike twice in Chicago for the same situation for a similar player who's not quite as good? I just there's so many strikes against what that happening. So I don't I don't think so. But certainly Chicago does have some decent players to play with. So, you know he'll probably get a pretty decent opportunity. And he's certainly been, you know, decent in Switzerland. And so. Um, He'll get he'll get a decent shot, but I just don't think it's it's terribly likely. But is a guy that you might want to um, add to your redraft list because I think he'll he'll get a top six shot in Chicago. Okay, so that is interesting. A top six shot in Chicago is worth something. How about Owen Tippett over in Florida? That's another depth chart where you might have some daylight to make an impact. Tippett is twenty one years old, uh, drafted tenth overall, so a top ten pick back in 2017 can play either wing uh what can he do this season well the thing about Tippett, which i think is surprising that he was not on the odds makers list and denisenko was because quite frankly i think Tippett probably has a better shot because he's a sniper all he has to do is open up and unleash that cannon and if he gets a shot with someone like barkov probably to a much lesser extent wenberg but if he gets a top six spot he could pop a lot of goals. Uh, Denisenko as being more of a playmaker has a further hill to climb and, and certainly has more defensive responsibilities. So I think that's far less likely. Um, but Tippett is also pretty ready. I mean, he's been in North America. He's played in the AHL fully one season, 40 points in 46 games. That's pretty good production in the, in the AHL. So he's ready to step into the NHL. And uh, I like, I like him a lot. And, and certainly, you know, is he going to displace, you know, um, Huberto, no, but uh, they did lose some some top line wingers, and so maybe he gets a shot on the other side, and that could be really good for him. So, uh, I I definitely like Tippett way better than Denisenko if I had to pick between those two. 
Oh, interesting. Okay, so Tennessee, not even your top Florida Calder pick uh, at the moment, or even Lundell. Like, how would you rank Lundell versus uh, Tibbet? Well, Lundell also different because he's a center, right? So he's going to probably be a 3C and be a, a, a good two-way forward. And, you know, maybe he gets 35, 40 points, maybe 45 if things break right. But I don't think he's going to be top power play. Tippett's skill set is such that you could put him on that top power play and you could just line him in one spot and pass him the puck and he could rip into the top corner. And he could do that without having to do anything else, right? He doesn't have to play a lot of defense. He doesn't have to be super responsible. So he doesn't have as far to go to be relevant, whereas Lundell is certainly much more ready than Denisenko, but Denisenko has a long way to go just in terms of two-way. And so I would definitely have Tippett and then Lundell and then Denisenko. Okay, very interesting. Florida Panthers, Calder power rankings. Let's go over to Washington. Here's a guy who's on lists of players most likely to be accidentally drafted. It's Connor McMichael, who's 19 years old, was drafted 25th overall in 2019 by the Caps. He plays center, shoots left. What more do I need to know about him? Yeah, he's been really good in the OHL, really good, and really come a long way since being drafted on the back half of the first round back in 2019, 25th overall. Um, But, you know, the reality is that even if he did make the uh, caps, he's probably not going to be in a top six role. So um, he he could, and and things could break really right for him, but I kind of doubt it. So that's why he's on this list, but certainly... um, you know, long term, yes, he's going to be pretty exciting and, and a replacement for some of those top, top six forwards, but unlikely that it's going to be this year. All right. And over in Colorado, we have another avalanche player up and coming. In fact, I remember Alex Newhook uh, falling in his draft year. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but like he was injured and there was some concern about health or long term ability. Uh, he was drafted 16th overall in the end by Colorado in 2019. He's 19 years old. He'll be 20 at the end of January. Play center, 5'11, 203 pounds. Does Alex Newhook uh, rank at all? I mean, I guess you're saying he's, he's at least worth considering. Well, certainly higher than some of the other guys that the odds makers had on their list, I would say. But the thing about Newhook, um, I think the biggest thing with him is that he was drafted out of the BCHL, which is a really low equivalency league. And, you know, some guys that have done tremendous there have really not panned out when you put them in other situations. And so a guy that comes to mind is like Kyle Turris, who tore up the BCHL, drafted high and well, we've seen what he's done. He's done average at times, but generally not a super high-end guy. And then there's guys like Jamie Ben who've done pretty well. So it's really hard to tell. But the thing that's interesting about him is that he went to the NCAA and absolutely tore it up at at, at BU. So uh, Boston College, sorry, don't uh, don't want to mistake those two, Boston College. Um, so Newhook, yes, there was some questions about him and how that would translate, but I don't have too many questions after what he did in his first year at Boston College. Of course, we want to see more. We want to see it at the at the uh, AHL level. So he's a guy who is probably not quite ready, um, but if he for some reason does make the team and you know, there's some pretty juicy top six spots available on the wing at least, even though he's a natural center, yeah, he could be good. So is he better than like a Tyson Jost or, you know, I think Burakovsky has come a long way. So, you know, he might be, he, he might someone who gets a shot. Um, Dauber says he's more like Braden Point and the hockey prospecting model has him someone like Connor Garland, probably somewhere in between. Um, but there's certainly some pretty decent upside there with Alex Newhook. All right, let's go over to a trio of players in Dallas 
who are on your other guys to consider list for the Calder 2021. How about Jason Robertson, Nick's older brother? Uh, we also have Ty Delandrea and Thomas Harley. Uh, so three guys here in Dallas. That's a very nice thing for Dallas to have uh, that could make an impact. Yeah, these all three are very different. Robertson is a is a shooter who's got a pretty good hockey IQ. He's not a great skater, but he shoots a lot. And so, you know, he's kind of a bigger guy. And I think that the stars could probably use him if he he's pretty ready to step into. He's been in the AHL. So he's one of the more ready of the three. Um, but there's certainly some issues with his skating. So that that's sort of a question. Um, I like him. I don't think that he has the highest upside, but he certainly could get to play with some pretty decent players. Delandria is more of a playmaker. He's a center and he hasn't been in the A, so he's got a little bit further to go, but he certainly, um, I'm sorry, he played a little bit in the AHL and he's now playing in the Liga. Um, but with Sagan being out, I think there's a pretty good opportunity for Delandria to step in. Um, realistically, it's probably going to be someone else, but if for some reason he does, you know, uh, show pretty well, uh, he could he could step in there. And he is playing over in the Liga right now. He's got three points in six games. So he's getting some professional experience. He had a trial in the A uh, in 1819 before going back full-time to the OHL last season. So Delandria is a guy that uh, is sort of Krejci-like. He's a good playmaker, good two-way. So, you know, maybe he takes a step and, and takes that role. That would be great. And he certainly um, has some good upside. And then Harley is just a really excellent skater, high hockey IQ. Um, he's big. Um, he knows how to position himself. He's he's pretty ready for the AHL uh, for the NHL. He's too young for the AHL. For so for him, it's either go back to the OHL or be in the be in the show. So um, I think it's pretty possible that Harley gets a shot as early as this season. Of course, the the issue with Harley is that he's not going to pass Heiskanen or um, or Klingberg. So his his upside is is pretty limited. But he's definitely a guy that I would be interested in and. Um, you know, taking a little bit lower. He's honestly probably lower than Lindell this year. So, um, but he's definitely a guy to, to keep an eye on because he has some pretty, pretty high upside uh, if everything breaks right for him, but he has not played um, in the NHL yet. He did get into one playoff game in the bubble. And another team with three Calder candidates outside, outside, outside Calder candidates worth considering are the Islanders who already have Sorokin in net, but on the skater side, you've got uh, from Youngest to oldest, Oliver Wallstrom, drafted 11th overall in 2018. He's 20 years old, plays right wing. You've got Kiefer Bellows at left wing, 22 years old, drafted 19th overall in 2016. And you've got Josh Hosang, uh, 24 years old, plays on the right side and was drafted 28th overall in 2014. So a trio of first-round picks that the Islanders have picked up over four years, still waiting to see uh, either of them come in and make an impact, although some have had more chances than others. Although even Josh Hosang, the oldest, uh, there have been several opportunities where it doesn't seem like he's gotten a real fair shake. Can either one of these three guys come in and be fantasy relevant in 2021? Well, I think one of them will. I just don't know which one. That's, that's the issue. Um, because, yeah, they're all sort of at different um, levels of their progression. And in our New York episode for the Fantasy Hockey Life, we interviewed one of their um, one of the guys that covers the team for them. And, and he was kind of similarly torn. And so, you know, the 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 Wallstrom is more of a, of a big physical guy. He's a, he's a sniper and he's not a great skater, but he's um, you know, he's got a good shot. And so that could pair really well with the playmaker like Marzal, obviously you'd be interested in that. 
Um, and so I like him for that reason. He's playing in the Alsvekstan over there in Sweden right now and looking pretty good. Bellows is um, a guy who's had two AHL seasons, but it, it wasn't great the first time. The last one was pretty good. Um, he's more of a physical power forward, like a Vander Kane light maybe. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and then Josh Hosang, He's been around for a while. He's reported to have some attitude issues, but they did qualify him and it looks like they're going to at least give him a shot. So all three of these guys have something interesting about them. And one of them will probably stick and be in a top six role. I just don't know which one. So I would just keep all three of them on your radar. If I had to put money on it, I would say it's probably Wallstrom, but I'm not very confident in that. So um, I'm just going to keep all three of them on my watch list and, uh, and whichever one's getting the opportunity, try to add them as fast as I can. All right, and we'll close out with a player. I mean, we mentioned the Senators' center depth earlier in the show, and I was talking Chris Tierney and Colin White, and uh, it didn't even dawn on me that I should have also mentioned Josh Norris, who appeals to both of our rooting interests. Victor, a little less so to yours than mine right now. Of course, he was uh, originally drafted 19th overall in 2017 by San Jose, but was dealt to Ottawa in the trade that sent Eric Carlson to San Jose. Looked like a throw-in piece at the time, but at the age of 21, he was looking like he could really legitimately involve it to a a top six centerman, uh, which is obviously very exciting to me personally and would be very needed in Ottawa. So there's room for him to jump up that depth chart if he's ready. Is he ready? I don't think so, but, you know, it's certainly possible. And, yeah, there's there's definitely a need in Ottawa. And, yeah, he was definitely a big part of that deal. He They, would, they were not going to do the deal if, if uh, Josh Norris wasn't involved in that. So he was he was a big piece, and San Jose was uh, okay to, to get rid of him uh, for Carlson. But, yeah, I think that uh, Norris is not a top, he's not the top line center um, option. Uh, I had this discussion with Cam Robinson actually, because I was sort of like, not sure which one of the two, but I think uh, Logan Brown actually has probably a better shot than Josh Norris. Um, But anyways, I don't think that either one of them are really going to be at this year. So um, there might be an opportunity, but realistically it's going to be, as you said, uh, Colin White and Chris Tierney who are, first and second line centers for now, but they're really just placeholders. So, um, you know, either Brown or Norris could step in. Um, but you know, it really depends on what Ottawa is trying to do. Are they trying to push and win for now? Because if so, then yeah, I think, uh, I think it might be Brown though, ahead of Norris. Okay. But yeah. And I didn't mean to, sorry, Victor, I didn't mean to call him a throw in. I just, from the Ottawa fan perspective, it was, why aren't we getting Merkley? in this deal how is Norris the best prospect they could send over for Eric freaking Carlson didn't seem uh terribly highly esteemed at the time but now I feel pretty good about it so uh, the Sharks would not have given up Merkley yeah well exactly they didn't it was just I mean trading anyway we I could go on about this forever maybe one day I'll write a thesis but for now holy cow Victor we have discussed uh roughly 35 rookies who may or may not have an impact in the NHL this year. But if it's not this year, not long from now. And you've got intel now on every single one of them. Thank you so much, Victor Nuno, for being here with us and for being also an amazing part of our patron community. If you ever want to pick Victor's brain, you can find him uh, over on our Discord server. Where else can people find you, Victor, if they have more questions or want to hear more of you or see more of your work? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, Victor Nuno 12. A lot of people reach out. Sometimes they private message me because they don't want their competitors to know 
the answer and that's fine. Um, I don't, I don't mind that. And I write over at the hockey writers, so you can check out my stuff there. We're doing a, a, a series on the 12 days of Christmas of hockey miss. And so I'm writing, writing about that for the sharks um, and, and fantasy hockey life. I host that co-host that with Jesse severe. And we, we did a whole team by team series of all the pro team and prospects uh, each team, one full episode on them. And that's really timeless. So go back and check those out if you uh, if you haven't already. I think I think we did a pretty good job with that. So definitely check that out. All right. Thank you so much, Victor. We'll put all of that info in the show notes. And once again, before we sign off, remember, if you want to get in the cookupful, uh, now would be a really great time to register by becoming a patron or join. You can also join our Discord server as a patron. Uh, you get a monthly bonus episode in the form of a patron cast which is like an ask me anything with elon and i uh, we'll answer every question until there are no questions left that happens once a month and our next one is actually on wednesday uh, december 16th i think is the date so if you want to get in on that come on and join up now and be a part of what is just a wonderful, beautiful, lovely, friendly, inclusive, keeping Carlson fantasy hockey podcast community. Uh, We'd really love to have you aboard. Also just a reminder, you can see our patron projection project results over at keepingcarlson.com slash PPP. And also check the show notes. If you would like to join that league that we're uh, Elon and I are participating in, in the name of hockey fights, cancer. And with that, I think we are done this episode. So thanks once again to Victor Nuno for sharing all that is in that giant brain of yours about all the prospects that we should be keeping an eye on in 2021. And with that, we will cue up that outro music and Brian, read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. Logo art by Brandon Weeb. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Elite Prospects, Roto World, Hockey Database, and Hockey Reference. And there is no opportunity for me to throw back to Elon here. So all I'll say now is hope to see you on Wednesday's patron cast. If you're not there for it, that's cool too. We appreciate you just listening to the show. In that case, we will see you next Sunday for another episode chock full of information as you get ready for your fantasy drafts, especially if you're in the couple December 19th. Holy cow. We're getting started until then. Remember fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs>